Well, good morning, North River. And it's good to be together today. You know, there's a singles conference going on down in the city right now. So it's a little bit lighter crowd today. But we're excited we're here together. Amen. And we've been going through this series called Draw Near to God for the entire year. And over the past few weeks, we've been saying, hey, if we're going to draw near to God, let's draw near to the Son of God, Jesus. And we've talked about Jesus and the truth, Jesus and the community, Jesus and his Father. And today, we're going to be talking about Jesus and his relationships. And specifically, we're going to be focusing on what can we learn from Jesus and his relationships so we can learn how to love outside the lines. Because have you noticed that the world puts up a lot of lines that we're not supposed to cross? And we'll say, hey, we, I, I, you can be my friend or I can be associated with you or, you know, I can love you. But as long as we don't cross this line. And what we can do is we can draw lines in the sand of our hearts that we're not willing to cross for people. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. And, and yes, we need boundaries. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when it, you, you, you get to the point where you're not willing to love anymore. Amen? So we're going to focus here, and we're going to focus on Jesus' relationship with the 12, but also with Matthew. So we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 9. And if you have your Bible, you can open up or you can follow with me. And uh, we'll be focused on Matthew 9. Let's pick up here. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You know, Jesus never ceases to amaze me. And how, I hope one day I can walk up to someone I don't know and then go, hey, follow me. And turn around and walk away. And that guy goes, oh, snap, i got to follow him. You know, and it's, that, Jesus is incredible. And, but this is the first time we see Matthew following Jesus. And so Jesus goes with his disciples to Matthew's house, and he, but he points out a couple other groups of people that are there. He says that, you know, the sinners are there, and, and we know, we go, man, well, Jesus is so awesome. He's hanging out with sinners. What an incredible love that he has. But do you see the other group he calls out with the sinners? He says not only are the sinners there, but there's the tax collectors. Now, that's interesting. Why does he compare, you know, put in groups, tax collectors and sinners together? Aren't they just great government officials? But it, during that time, right, we have, you know, Jesus is living in Judea, Samaria, kind of, you know, Galilee, this area of Judea. And Rome has taken over the known world. And so Rome has taken over Judea. And they're saying, hey, everyone that lives in Judea needs to pay taxes to the Roman government. But here's the catch, they go. We're not going to send Romans to collect your money. We're going to hire your own people to collect your money for us. So these tax collectors were traitors to their nation. They were viewed as the biggest betrayers. I mean, imagine if we had a World War III, and then it was China versus U.S., and then, you know, China, through terrible battles and millions, you know, you know dead, takes over the known world. And then they say, hey, we're going to collect your money and give to the Chinese government. Except we're not going to collect it ourselves. We're going to get people from every neighborhood to go door knocking to take your money from you to give to the Chinese government that's taken over the world. Now, what kind of line would you draw of that guy? What kind of separation would you not want to befriend? How much would you not want to give your heart and your love to that kind of traitor? And yet Jesus is crossing this line. And so, of course, it causes a ruckus as we continue in Matthew 9, 11. 
So when the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, kind of the authority of the time, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the, groups them together again, the tax collectors and the sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So he's causing a ruckus here. The Pharisees can't even handle it. This is, so, this is going so far out the line. Why is this Jesus of yours doing this? Why is he loving someone that shouldn't be loved? Why is he crossing the line? And, and why is that? It's because Jesus is trying to give us a lesson. And he hints at it here. There's a bunch of narratives. We can't go into everything. But that love is a decision, not a preference. That during that time, man, people did not prefer to hang out with these tax collectors. They did not prefer to associate with traitors or to befriend people that have betrayed their nation. But Jesus says, it doesn't matter what I prefer, it's a decision. It's a decision you make first. You, you don't, have you realized you, loving people doesn't usually come natural for us? <laughs> that we have to decide that we're going to love over just what we feel in our preference. And so the Pharisees are feeling weird about it and, and all this kind of stuff. But we usually don't focus on the, the last group that was there. Because Jesus wasn't there alone. But he was with his disciples. I bet his disciples also felt a certain kind of way being in that tax collector's house. Where, where they were, Jesus. Why are we here? Do you realize whose house this is? And he invited his friends. Why are we here? And, and, then, and then they see Jesus confront the Pharisees and, man, he got to desire mercy, not sacrifice. And you know when you do something that you really don't want to do and then you realize how it's actually a good thing in other people's eyes? You jump on the bandwagon real quick. That's right, Jesus, get him. You tell him, Jesus. Right, desire mercy. And, but then when they left, I bet they felt like a, hey, well, I'm glad we did that. I'm glad we left him over there. Now we can go back to our group and, and we, we paid our homage. We, we loved once, but as long as he's over here and we hang out with our group over here, then we're fine. Let's, let's redraw the line. And I, I bet the disciples could have been feeling that. I'm glad we did that and made a point, but can we just be done with that, those tax collectors from now on? And little did they know that Jesus was about to blow their mind again. So this is in Matthew 9, and then in Matthew 10, he calls together, he has these crowds and the disciples, and then he calls together 12 people to be his inner circle. And he calls together 12 people to be his family group, to, to really be close to him, and he picks someone that blows their mind. So in Matthew 10 and Mark 3, they're parallel passages. I love the first section of Mark 3, so I added it. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that he might be with him. So Jesus is calling people that he wanted, that he wanted to be with him. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. And you can imagine if this was like a roll call, like who's going to be on the basketball team and the disciples are like cheering for the different people. You know, he goes, Peter, and they're like, oh yeah, that's a good pick. You know, Andrew, James, and uh, the son of Zebedee, his brother John, great picks, Jesus, completely agree with you. Philip and Bartholomew, sounds good. Thomas, awesome. Matthew, the tax collector, whoa, 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 wait a second. How did he get here? I thought we left him behind. Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus, you know, Peter, let me pull you aside, Jesus. You know, it was one of those moments. He continues, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are the guys that Jesus decided that he was going to walk with for the next three years, that he was going to live with. But it's interesting, out of the 12 names listed, 
besides whose son they are, we only get two descriptions about what they did or what religious affiliation. Do you see that? And um, so we have Matthew the tax collector, so we figure out his job. It doesn't say Peter or Andrew the fisherman. It's the, only, it's the only job description it gives. And then it gives Simon the zealot. It doesn't say Bartholomew the Pharisee. I, I don't know if he's a Pharisee, but it doesn't give the religious affiliation. Why does he do that? Why does it only specify those two? Because Matthew's writing this gospel, if you remember. I think this is what Matthew was saying. Because we know now what the tax collectors, they're traitors to the nation. But do you know what the zealots were? The zealots were the religious group that were radical nationalists. And they believe that through military might, we should overthrow any group that threatens Judea. So they had a deep hatred for Rome. And they had a deep hatred for anyone that affiliated with Rome, especially the Jews that betrayed their nation to collect money for Rome. That zealots and tax collectors like, had this, this battle of hatred always between them. And so Matthew, who's writing the gospel, wants us all to remember what kind of line Jesus was crossing. That he was willing to put Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot both in his inner circle. Why? Why? Because Jesus unites what the world separates. Amen? Jesus unites what the world separates. Where the world draws lines, Jesus goes outside the lines. Where the world says y'all can't be together, Jesus says I'm more important than your differences. Come to me and, I, and we can be united together. Jesus unites where the world separates. And this is so true for all the people that were there. There were so many different separations. There, there would have been lines between the fishermen and the tax collector, zealots and the tax collector. They're from different places. They're from different families. Man, they, there should have been lines drawn between them, yet Jesus figured out a way where they could all be in love. Because in the world, they shouldn't have been together. But in Christ, they could. And in Christ, they could learn to love. They could learn to be united. They could learn to, to be together, not just to go to church together, but to be part of the family together. It was something that they did all together because for Jesus, Jesus' closest friends are very different. They're extremely different. How about you? Are your closest friends all like you? Are your closest friends all like you? Are, are, are your closest friends the people that look like you, that work at the same jobs, that live in the same areas? Or are you learning to, can it be, what's said about Jesus be said about you? That where the world separates, you unite. And where the world draws lines, you intentionally decide to push past the lines. And this is so incredibly important. You know, and, and this is so rich even in our church history. I don't know if you guys know this. So, North River is a really special place. You know, we started about 13 years ago. And a, and a lot of you were some of those that started the church, and, and I thank you for that. So 13 years ago, about 160, 180, you know, members came together, and they, they started North River. But when they looked around, they realized that they all were very, very similar. That it was a bunch of white, suburban, kind of middle class, upper middle class people that had great hearts, and they loved God. And it was kind of the East Cobb kind of group, Right. And, and But what they decided is this is not what the church is supposed to look like. That the church is supposed to be diverse. And that we, we need more, we're mainly majority right now, we need more minorities. So let's intentionally decide to do that. And they said, we're really old. We're, we're going extinct. Maybe they didn't use that word. <laughs> but we, we, need, we need to get a younger crowd. We, we, need to, we need to get to the next generation. And now what a beauty North River is. That have a congregation that's multiplied many times over, but is diverse. 
And not only has the really old, but also has the really young. And it's a beautiful thing that our church started by saying our closest friends just can't be like us, that we got to reach out. But I actually think at our size now that we have a potential threat to the unity of North River. Because now there's enough people in the church where you can find people that are just like you. And you can find people that have your interests, that love your sports, that, you know, that have your hobbies, that look, that look like you. And if you're not careful, instead of grow uncomfortable to love people only for Christ, you can learn just to unite with people that have your same interests. And the hindrance there, if we're not careful, is that it can cause cliques, it can cause divisions, it can cause factions. And I don't think we're there, but we got to intentionally decide to love people that aren't like us or we will go there. Amen? Because the truth is, it wasn't just in Jesus' time that there was lines. Because there's lines now also, aren't there? In the world, what are some of those lines now? You know, in the world, there's the race line, right? The African-American and Caucasian that, man, you know, in all kinds of different racial groups, there's supposed to be a line between us, the world says, that we can't unite. It's one of the saddest things that Sunday is one of the most racially segregated days in the Bible Belt South. Where you got the all-white church, you got the all-black church, you got the all-Hispanic church, the all-Asian church. And on the day we're supposed to come together, we go apart. It's this line that the world has drawn. How about this one? Football fanatics versus football fanatics, right? That it's this, man, even over sports can separate us. Republicans, Democrats, the politics, right? Man, I, I hear about these cringeworthy moments where people that love God, that you're so passionate about convincing people about a political view, yet you can be apathetic about convincing people of a Christ view. That, man, I, I just, I hear about this, guys, and we, we can go along the line that the world draws instead of breaking down the lines of, through Christ. And we, get, and we can get so, you know, intense about showing somebody, you know, and saying, man, you got to agree with me, and why do you think that? And we go after their political views, but if someone doesn't believe in Christ, or if someone doesn't believe they should follow Christ, but you won't even say a word to them. But if they have a different political view, you have no problem arguing with them. We gotta be, man, this is a, but this is a line that the world draws. That if we're not careful, we also slip into. Rich, poor, all these kind of things. So in Christ, it needs to look different, amen? In Christ, there should be little hearts instead of little, little do not equals, right? That we, we need to break down those, those lines. To, to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what race you are. Man, the beauty of the church is that we're all created in God's image. God must look like a rainbow if we're all created like him. It's just this beautiful thing that we can come together. And, and I love that we have a diverse congregation. And we still are working and progressing on having a diverse leadership and culture and things like that. But I'm grateful for our progress. And I'm grateful that we're growing. You know, you know in different kind of sports and things, you know, it, what do we, it's not usually just sports, it's what team you like, right? And man, let me just tell you a little story about me. So both my parents graduated from University of Florida. We got any Gators in the house? A couple, you know, saying, there we go, get a chomp. And so, and so I, I grew up with, you know, blue and orange flooding my veins. And then I went to Georgia Tech, right? SEC to ACC was kind of challenging, but you know what I mean? I went to Georgia Tech. Guess what team I have learned to hate from my youth all the way through my college career? It's that school up in Athens, right? We got any Bulldogs in the house? You know what I'm saying? And, and yet, man, that, there's going to be these giant rivalries and these giant things that the world says should separate you, the house divided. You know what I'm saying? One of my best friends is Nick Schaff. 
Nick Schaub, you know, he preached a few weeks ago. He went to that school up in Athens for some kind of reason, right? And, but we're best friends. We've decided that the cross is more important than what school we went to. That Jesus is more important. You know, between republics and, who cares what political party you're part of as long as you're part of the kingdom party? That's what really matters is that if you're putting the kingdom first, that, and it's not that we shouldn't have opinions. Of course we're going to have opinions. Of course we appreciate our cultures and our backgrounds and our sports teams and where we went to school and school pride. All that kind of stuff is important, but it should never be more important than Christ. Just like the rich and the poor. It doesn't matter how much money you have now. When we're in Christ, it's a beautiful thing. We just care about the inheritance we have in heaven. And we can unite in that together. It's, but you got to decide to break through those lines or the world will draw them for you. And so I'll say to everyone that's new here today, you know what? Welcome to the family in Christ. It's a beautiful thing where people can learn to find a place that never had a place before, where enemies can become friends, where the disassociated can become associated, where the disunited can become united. It's a beautiful place here in God's family. Amen? But what can stop us? You know, there's a scripture in Ephesians 4. We don't have time to look at it. So, I, you know, in Ephesians 4, it talks about make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Before that, it talks about the traits, right? It talks about being humble and gentle and bearing with another love and, and being patient. These beautiful things that we can have in our relationships. But the key is it says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's not just a little bit of effort. It's not just a medium amount of effort. It's every effort. So unity is more important than so many things. And I, I wrote a couple up here. Unity is more important than your feelings. Unity is more important than your individuality. And unity is more important than your comfortability. And those can be the things that make us want to disunite the most. You know what I'm talking about? When, man, we can get so worked up when somebody hurts us. When, and, and, they, and guys, all this that I'm talking about, I know this can be very challenging. Especially when you get hurt and you're working through forgiveness or you've been, you've, you've experienced a lot of grief or you've experienced things in the world that you're, I know this isn't easy, but just because it's not easy doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for it. But unity is more important than so many different things. When we get our feelings really hurt, you remember when you were a kid? Who here has siblings? I mean, a lot of us have siblings. Remember when you were a kid, me and Jonathan used to get in fights all the time. And man, it just say the worst things, right? Like, I hate you. Why do you even exist? You know, just not, the worst stuff. And I remember those fights, but you know what I don't remember? Why we got in a fight in the first place. And then it becomes so much more about our feelings than how we were even wronged. You know, the, the, the Western culture we live in preaches individuality to us. That it's, all, it's a selfishness. It's a selfish ambition that's all about me getting mine. At, it doesn't matter at whose expense. That it's about me, myself, and I. Yet the Eastern world that we look at with Jesus, it's all about, instead of about the me, it's about the we. And it's about the communal. And the, your comfortability. Man, I love this. You cannot love people if you're not willing to get uncomfortable. Have you noticed that? That you got to be willing to stretch outside your comfort zones to unite with people that aren't like you. You know, one of my favorite stories about this recently, so over the summer, uh, down at Georgia Tech, we had a basketball Bible talk where we said, hey, you know what, we're going to reach out to people playing basketball, let's play basketball every week, and then every other week we'll have a little Bible discussion just to reach out to people and get them involved. And um, a lot of us love basketball. Now, there's a great brother, his name is Jamal Rache, okay? And if I said his name in the second service, a lot of people would have laughed at that, but that's all right. And so there's a great brother named Jamal Rache, and while some people are really good at basketball, 
Jamal's not very good at basketball. And it's okay, I asked him if I could share this. But I so much appreciated him because he showed up to the basketball Bible talk. Was willing to get uncomfortable, was willing to look embarrassed, was willing to look like not a good person out there for the sake of unity. And he was willing to get uncomfortable to be united with the disciples. And where and where 1 John 4 says, you know, um, above all else, love, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, when Jamal was out there, love covered a multitude of bricks, okay? Like, he wasn't very good, but he was united. He was united. It's willing to do this. And I, and if you see all these, they all start with a certain three letters, you. And here's the most important part. You will never be a champion of unity unless you decide that unity is more important than you. That's more important than you. But at the same time, isn't that the beauty of the church? To be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves? I have, I have a little family right now. It's my, me and my wife Toya and our little son Camden. And isn't this such a beautiful thing in the family, that of the unity of the family? But as a father, I'm realizing that means I gotta put myself aside. And, and, and the greater good of the Massey family, that's more important than me just getting my way. And that the unity of the Massey family is more important than just me. And I gotta learn to be uncomfortable for the sake of the, the family. And we're family here. So we gotta let ourselves go for the sake of something so much bigger than ourselves. Amen? So I'll close out with this. Do you let your personal differences divide you or your love for Christ unite you? Because in all these areas, it's not that you, we, we let go of our political affiliations or we let go of what sports teams we like, but we just decide that Jesus is more important. Because you unite with people over what's most important to you. So I would say that if your closest group of friends is just like you, then, it's, then you're, what's most important to you probably isn't Jesus. But it's that interest that you guys share together. And it's something to divide. And this is very, I'm very passionate about this for a specific reason. It's because the group of people that really reached out to me and helped me were so different than me. You know, I've shared about it, you know, in different ways before. But there's one brother I haven't shared about yet. His name is Alex Jackson, right? And a lot of us know Ajax, right? This is a picture on my wedding day, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, just shout out to Kenan's ankles right there. But this is such, this is such a... Uh, this is just a boss picture, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, shout out to my brothers, you know, jawline, looking epic. But this is Ajax right here, okay? That's Ajax. Ajax is one of my best friends. There's very few guys that I respect more than Alex Jackson. You know, he taught me how to become a disciple and to love Jesus. He taught me how to lead my, my uh, girlfriend and wife in a way that, that glorifies God. He taught me how to be a campus minister. I love Ajax, he was in my wedding, I was in his wedding, all these kind of things, yet we are so different. I mean, on the surface, one of us is white, one of us is black, I'll let you choose which one, right? You know, one of us is really good looking, the other isn't, I'll let you choose which one. But we have so many differences. He's naturally a techie, doesn't really like talking to people. I love talking to people. I mean, when I came, when I was in high, I love sports, he hates sports. When I was in high school, I made fun of people that liked anime. Okay, anime is like a Japanese cartoon, okay? I made fun of people that did that, like, y'all are losers. And then I got the tech, I got the tech, and then uh, the guys that reached out to me loved anime. So I learned to love anime, all right? Now I'm an anime fanatic. Let's go, all right? And so I learned all these things. But, man, even Ajax, this is us jumping off of a bridge, it's, you know, into, some, uh, into a river. Ajax, let me tell you, never would have done that, all right? This is like 30 feet. He would have said it was 300 feet. And it was one of those things. And if you notice, we're holding hands. 
And, and, and the, the reason why is because he would never do anything like this. He went, he's like, Jordan, this is kind of embarrassing. I don't think I can do this unless you hold my hand. <laughs> just, and I said, okay, bro, let's do it. You know what I mean? Just, it was just, but we united. But here's why it's so important to me. Because I think Christ knew that without someone loving me that was very different than me, I wouldn't have gotten it. Because for most of my life, people that were like me loved me. It's easy to love someone that's like you and befriend people that are like you. But when this dude that was so different than me invested in me, took time to care about me, to befriend me, to love me, to teach me about Christ, and made me go, dude, why are you doing this? Why do you care so much? What is it that makes you not stop? And when he would talk about it was Christ's love flowing through him, man, that caught my attention. And that's what kept me around going, man, this is something beautiful I've never experienced. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Where the world draws lines and pushes away from each other, the church is supposed to be a bright beacon of hope that's united around Christ's love. It's supposed to be a bright beacon of hope to the people that go, wait, why are you, ta- why do you, are you investing in me when we're not similar? You shouldn't care about me. You shouldn't love me. You shouldn't be my friend. You shouldn't pull me into your house. But we say, you know, we are because Christ's love courses through us. And that's the beauty of Christ's love and his relationships, that Christ's love is willing to go outside the lines. So as we're about to share communion here, I want to encourage you first to remember how Christ went outside the lines for you and for me. And he went past lines that we can never even dream of, didn't he? Where he crossed the line from heaven to earth, where he crossed the line going to the cross. These incredible moments to love us. Let's remember that. But let's also be thankful for this fellowship we have and, and, and recommit ourselves to loving people outside the lines. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, you are incredible. Thank you for crossing a line to sacrifice your son for us. Father, your love is unimaginable. And God, it seems so hard to us to love people that aren't like us, and yet somehow you, the holy God, figured out how to love us mere humans. And God, I pray that as we take your, uh, you know, this juice right now, we take the bread that we can remember Jesus. And we can remember how he really loved us so intensely. But God, I pray we don't just remember, but we recommit to let Jesus' love flow through us. And in his holy name we pray, amen.